Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Ben Greenfield is the man. So he's been on the podcast before. He wrote a great book called Boundless, which is everything you could possibly want to know about the human body and how to be the best you can be in terms of healthy living, anti-aging, good sleep. And Ben, he lives the life he preaches. Like, he is a healthy person 24 hours a day. I try to be, but Ben is the man. So I called up Ben Greenfield because I had my first chess tournament. Didn't go that well. First chess tournament in 24 years. A little bit of a disappointment, but also points the way towards future improvement. I've got another one coming up. And I said, Ben, I need help. My, I need physical preparation help, not just, you know, studying more chess. I need every other aspect of my life to be good, particularly physical. So Ben took me on the tour of, of how peak performers get better physically, no matter, even if it's mental peak performance that you're aiming for. And he gave me 19 different recommendations that were all over the place from food to supplements to devices I should get at Amazon, he gave me all sorts of great advice, but here are basically the 19 most important things Ben helped me with. You okay with this? Oh yeah, this is beautiful. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna walk up through the forest up to a little farm road behind my house. We can start. So this is the first time. Uh, this is the first time I'm ever doing a podcast with someone who's literally like on a hike while I'm doing the podcast. Like you're hiking right now. For me, that's a hike. Well, you know, I'm I'm supposed to be positioning myself as a healthy person and as an expert in like health. So, you know, I have to be authentic and be walking around in the forest while we're talking. So it makes sense, right? Well, first off, I you are an expert in this, and I want to thank you for um, when I had. COVID a couple of months ago, you sent me kind of a, a list of things to do and you sent me some supplements and I got better. At least I didn't die. So thank you very much. You're welcome, comma. Probably by saying that in public, I'm now going to get some kind of a, a, a CDC official showing up at my front door telling me not to dispense medical advice because I'm not a physician. So well, you were giving uh, you were giving suggestions and and you you counseled me yes. see a surgeon before doing anything. 
So you are oh. very appropriate. <laughs> oh, wow. I went a step above. I even said surgeon, huh? <laughs> well, I'm just in case I'm, you, I'm just in case that, you need to have any body parts removed. <laughs> I'm saying that just for the, uh, the thought police that might be listening. So, yes. Uh, yes. But did, did you get COVID during this whole thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. As a matter of fact, I mean, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to be irresponsible by, by saying this, but, uh, you know, in, in the style of the old school chicken pox parties, I, um, I didn't do a whole lot to keep myself from getting COVID just because I am a firm believer in some of the value of natural immunity. I'm not an anti-vaxxer in any sense of the word, but I just kind of like the idea of letting my body become naturally immune to something. And then uh, should a vaccine uh, become available that I'm comfortable getting, I'll also get a vaccine because I think you might even have better immunity if you're both vaccinated and you've had COVID. So let me ask you a question. So I, I had a pretty serious case. How long does my, how long does the immunity last? Do you think from COVID? I don't know if there's any like firm reason. I hear different numbers from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, 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 it widely, widely varies in terms of antibody production post COVID. So I really couldn't give you an accurate, an accurate reply, but it's definitely several months and beyond. And um, yeah, it's going to vary quite widely though. Is it the case that the worse you get it, the worse you get it, the better the immunity? I don't know. I, I uh, doubt that that's true because a lot of people who tend to get it worse are people who, um, you know, of course, not only the elderly and the immunocompromised, but people who have a lot of inflammation or people who eat a poor diet or people who have low vitamin D levels. You know, there's like this whole list of things that make uh, contracting COVID a more serious issue in some people. And I don't necessarily think that that's reflective of you having like enhanced immunity versus you just kind of being a little bit more effed up from a health standpoint when you did get it. Man, I must, I must have a bad of all of those things. So this, this makes uh, my question for today even more relevant. So I need your advice on something. Everybody says you can't improve at, at certain life skills after a certain age. You know, math, people always say mathematicians do their best work when they're young. Physicists do their best work when they're young. Musical prodigies are just that. They're prodigies. They're, they're young. And so I'm trying to prove this wrong. I used to be a very competitive chess player when I was younger. I hadn't played in a tournament in 24 years. Now I'm starting to re-enter that world. And I have a tournament coming up. And I, I was in one a few weeks ago. Didn't do so well. But I wonder if I need to up my physical and brain preparation in other ways than just studying chess, for instance. Like, what would you do if you were going to start doing something competitive that requires endurance? It's, you know, you're playing, you can yeah. be playing up to 12 hours a day. And yeah. it, there, there's examples. They, they say that at a very competitive level, you could burn thousands of calories a day just in a chess tournament. Yeah, so, that was actually a pretty, pretty recent study that showed a shockingly high number of calories burnt which is interesting because, you know, and, and then I'll get to your question, but a lot of people are into like the low carbohydrate diet or ketosis these days and fail to take into account the uh, relatively large amount of glucose that the brain actually burns when engaged in, in cognitively demanding activities such as chess. And so like the trace amounts of 
carbohydrates that the brain needs on any given day is about 40 grams. But then that goes up pretty significantly once you start to think a lot. And so that would lead me to uh, the answer to your question, which is twofold. First of all, probably the reason that people tend to have a more difficult time learning things in their older years uh, has to partly do with just decreased neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, the ability to be able to, to build new synapses and new neurons, which is, which is crucial, you know, that, that network connectivity for learning. And, and of course, as you would imagine in a child who needs to learn everything from a new language to how to ride a bicycle to other formative skills for life, you'd want that plasticity to be enhanced. And so it would make sense that, that a, a kid would have a higher degree of neuroplasticity than an adult. Um, but there are certain things that you can actually consume that are either going to serve as a long-term stable fuel source for the brain that would even allow the brain to have alternative fuels to be able to burn other than just oh, glucose. To glucose. Okay. Yeah, alternatives to glucose. And then the other thing is that there are a lot of compounds, you know, so-called nootropics that a lot of like poker players and e-gamers and, and people who have cognitively demanding activities are actually using now to the extent to where there's even like this new policing of some cognitive sports to ensure that no one's doping the same way that a Tour de France cyclist might dope on, you know, like EPO or testosterone or something like that. Now they're monitoring. Um, and, and even that uh, uh, I was reading an article that was published a few years ago about how I believe it was Duke University is doing like anti-doping tests on some of the students to make sure they're not using some of these compounds that would give the brain a distinct advantage over their classmates. And so really, so um, they're doing it for like test performance. You can't like, I guess some of the right. students might be taking Adderall or something. Oh, I suppose like Adderall or perhaps, you know, one of the, one of, one of the, the newer trends is to like microdose with, with plant medicines or psychedelics, like, you know, LSA or LSD or psilocybin or something like that. But when it comes to, uh, when it comes to some of like the low hanging fruits, um, first of all, one thing, because it's interesting because I do some consulting with professional poker players. So we talk about stuff like this because sometimes these guys will have to like just sit for 48 hours and compete and, and you know, kind of a similar setting to something like a, a chess tournament, I would oh, imagine. Oh, so, 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 Ben, let me, I think poker is very interesting and I've played poker at that level as well in the past. I would say some some small cognitive differences, and maybe it doesn't make a difference for what you're saying, but one thing is memory is really important. So being able to recall this way that this person's playing is something I've seen a year ago or six months ago, these exact moves, and being able to recall what's happened is important. And also being able to calculate many, many moves ahead is important. Yeah, yeah, that, that anticipatory component come out with the memory component is pretty important. Uh, which would be like anticipatory plus recall. So uh, from a from a nutrient standpoint, really like the top of the totem pole would be ketones because your body can burn ketones as an alternative fuel source instead of glucose. And it's a pretty long-term stable fuel source. I, I started to use ketones when I was racing in triathlon and just needed like a really good slow burning and stable fuel for the liver and the heart and the diaphragm and the brain to like focus and stamina during endurance sports 
basically the body when it burns its own fatty acids as a fuel will generate these things called ketone bodies which the brain really likes to burn as a stable source of fuel and an alternative to glucose and many people will get their ketone levels high by doing something like a very low carbohydrate diet or a ketosis based diet but of course the problem with that as we've already established is that the brain also does need glucose and needs even more of it when you're doing a lot of thinking and so rather than just like fasting or starving yourself or like not eating any potatoes or pasta or fruit or anything like that you can kind of like um uh like shortcut or hack your way into ketosis by using what are now uh you know th th these things used to be only available to like you know like DARPA and Tour de France cyclists and, and researchers and people who are kind of like on the on the fringe cutting edge of of some of these compounds but now you can literally just like buy them at, at Whole Foods or online and so they're called ketone esters and they're typically like a liquid and they come in like a shot and you drink them and not only do they satiate your appetite for a good six to eight hours after you consume them uh, but they also bump up your levels of ketone bodies that are available for your brain to burn. So some examples would be, uh, there are companies like uh, Ketone Aid is one. There's another company called HVMN. There's another company called uh, uh, Perfect Keto. But all these companies, literally, they just make these like drinkable ketones that shift your body into a state of fuel utilization that you'd normally only be able to achieve through like long-term fasting or severe carbohydrate restriction. And instead you just kind of like hack your way into it by drinking these things. And, and the general consensus, and I would agree with this, is they don't taste that great. But honestly, if you just like whatever, chase it with a little fruit juice or something, it's not that bad or like a piece of gum or something like that. And so ketones would be one thing that- And, and well, would, does it, when you take it like that and you're sort of like, you know, hacking your body a little bit, uh, it, does it work as well as going into natural ketosis? Um, no, not quite as well if you're looking for like the longevity benefits and like the cellular cleanup benefits and some of the things that happen when you're restricting calories or restricting carbohydrates. But if you're just looking for the cognitive benefits, they're on par um, or arguably even a little bit better because you can get your levels pretty high. So that's that's one thing that you can do but back to the glucose piece they can work so effectively that they almost like cause your blood glucose to drop so i tell people that if, that if you're doing this for performance like do your ketones but then also like have a little bit of, of fruit like a handful of blueberries which are fantastic for the brain anyways along with them or you know like like a piece of fruit or you know a, a, you know, like some sweet potato or just just a little bit of carbohydrate to go along with them so so I would do that for fuel and then for, for more gasoline for the brain, because anytime you're increasing demands for the brain, probably the top two things you'd also want to include would be what's called choline. And choline is a, is a really good fuel for the brain that you tend to burn through greater amounts of when you're thinking a lot. You can find it in like fish and eggs and walnuts, which I think should be staples of any like brain athletes diet, fish and egg and walnuts. But you can also purchase, again, as a supplement, a choline. Um, for example, there's one company called uh, uh, Quicksilver Scientific and they make like a, like a little like sublingual uh, spray that you can spray into your mouth. And it's a really good bioavailable source of choline. 
So in addition to ketones, choline would be really good. And then the other fat source that's really good is uh, DHA, which you would find in like a really good fish oil. So you kind of like pair the fish oil and the choline and then the ketones, and that'll give you uh, essentially like a, like a really good gas tank for long-term thinking, but a gas tank that's pretty stable and doesn't result in like a come down crash, like a whole bunch of caffeine or, or nicotine might do. So let me ask you about these. So let's say I start uh, using them. Should I use them for several weeks before a tournament or like just at the tournament? Like how do I get the maximum bang for my buck here? Well, you don't, you don't have to, to, to build up your ability to be able to utilize them effectively by using them for a long period of time going into the competition. Uh, but you would want to just use them at some point just in your normal set and setting at home to make sure that for some reason you don't get explosive diarrhea or something like that because that could be distracting. I'm okay chats. with that. It's probably okay. more distracting to my opponent, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yes. Hey, look, a shiny penny, a rabbit. A little bit of diarrhea. It's a, it's a, it's a good tactic, but yeah, right. um, no, you, you can, you can literally just take them the day of, although again, like I'm always a fan of just testing anything just to make sure it's okay on your gut. So yeah. you don't, you don't have to use it for a few weeks going in though. And then, uh, for the, there's two other things to think about that we talked about, uh, the neuroplasticity and the memory for the neuroplasticity. Um, really, I think the best thing out there is, is lion's mane mushroom. Uh, which is another readily available supplement. You know, companies like uh, Four Sigmatic or Real Mushrooms, they make these lion mane mushroom extracts. And lion's mane, it's kind of interesting, you know, that whole concept of doctrine of signatures, how things that we see in nature give us clues about what effect those might have on different parts of the body. You know, like, um, like sweet potatoes, which I mentioned earlier, are actually a pretty stable carbohydrate source and really good for insulin levels. And they actually kind of sort of are shaped the same way that a pancreas is shaped in the body. And the mm. pancreas is, is the, the part of the body that, that will help you out with things like insulin sensitivity. Or if you like, um, you know, crack open an egg in a pan or you slice a carrot lengthwise, it kind of looks like an eye and eggs and carrots are good for visual function. Or you, or you, you know, crack open a walnut, which is a source of choline that I talked about earlier, you know, kind of looks like a little brain. And if you look at lion's mane mushroom where it grows in nature, it looks like kind of a cluster of axons and dendrites, you know, similar to what you'd find within your, your neuronal tissue. And it actually really is, is quite good for neuroplasticity. And many people who are um, supplemented with lion's mane will actually combine it with something like a microdose of psilocybin because that seems to enhance the effectiveness even more, like, like adding a, just, a, just a very small dose of psilocybin along with lion's mane, although that's not necessary. You, you could just use the lion's mane on its own. And that's probably one of my favorites for neuroplasticity. Even, even my sons, you know, I have twin 13-year-old sons, and, and they, they will use lion's mane to support their, their cognitive function during a school day uh, because it helps also to produce what's called a brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is kind of like miracle growth for the brain. And so I'm happy for them to be able to, to use that for school. And so, so for the neuroplasticity, I'd consider lion's mane. And then for the word recall and the memory and stuff like that, there's a lot of other you know, good compounds. But I would say one of the ones that's really good is a ginkgo biloba. So I've heard that before. Does that, does that work? Like they have studies showing that works? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ginkgo biloba is one of the few that actually has been studied and shown to be effective for memory and 
word recall and things like that. So that'd be another one to throw into the mix. So, so that'd be like a basic stack. Like you eat a diet that's rich in choline and perhaps even supplement with a little bit of extra choline. And then you take your ketones, but you don't take your ketones and like totally restrict carbohydrates. Instead, you eat, you know, at least 40 grams of carbs a day and hopefully a little bit more. How much is 40 grams? 40 grams would be uh, about uh, four, eight, well, about 160 uh, calories or so um, okay. of, of carbs. So not, so not much at all, you know, and, you know, considering that you're going to want carbohydrates for other things like, I don't know, climbing a flight of stairs to go to your chest game or, you know, doing a workout that morning or whatever. You know, mo most folks I recommend, you know, eat somewhere between about 100 to 200 grams of carbohydrates a day. And that, that's a pretty good range to give your brain what it needs, but then have a little left to go around for the rest of the body too. Yeah, then you throw the lion's mane into that mix and some ginkgo biloba, and that'd be a pretty good so-called stack for something like, you know, mental performance for chess. And then what about, obviously, things like sleep are important and stress management and stuff like that. And I know you've done a lot of work on, on sleep. And I found in this last tournament, I was so wired after games that I was sleeping only like four or five hours a night. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you always have to check back and ask yourself, well, well, what's the reason someone's not sleeping, right? Like sometimes it can be that they, you know, are surrounded by too much light or that the room isn't cold enough or, you know, there's ambient noise and there's all those basic sleep hygiene things to tackle. But in the case of a competition, usually the reason that you're not sleeping, I find for most people, it's twofold, especially with like, you know, the poker players I've worked with. Number one is any like, a lot of times wherever you're competing, there tends to be a lot of like lights, like LED overhead fluorescent lights or, you know, yeah. lights in the hotel room or lights in the cars as you're driving back on the road. So I'm a huge fan of, of blue light blocking glasses that you can wear especially after you're done, like not during, because obviously if you block all the light during, you'll get a little sleepy. But then afterwards, when you finish, you know, wear something like blue light blocking glasses that help to keep your eyes from seeing too much blue light, which could shut down melatonin production. And the other thing that tends to be a factor is, of course, the increased cortisol that's in your system from having competed. You know, I've run into this when I play tennis in like a men's tennis club at night, and I'm under the fluorescent lights, and I'm kind of you know, hypercortisolic from having played some tennis. And so there are other compounds that have been shown to be able to decrease nighttime cortisol. And probably the one that's the best is phosphatidylserine. Phosphatidylserine, that's something that's available in a, like a supplement form. Wait, I'm going I'm to write that one down. What's phos Yeah, just like phos it sounds, phos phospha, like P-H-O-S-P-H-A, title, T-I-D-Y-L, Serine, S-E-R-I-N-E. -E. And you can get like, uh, you know, like the company Thorn, for example, they have a good like nighttime phosphatidylserine that you can take that does a pretty good job kind of lowering cortisol levels. And, you know, I'd pair that with some light mitigation in the evenings. And that'd be, that'd be a pretty good one-two combo for being a little bit like wired up in the evening after, after a match. What, what, and what if you're groggy when you wake up? What if you slept too well? Oh, well, usually that means you know, a lot of times people will have that happen if they've taken melatonin or some other kind of a sleep supplement before bed. And the best way to just flush all that out of the system is to expose yourself to a ton of natural light or even artificial light within the hours of waking. So for example, um, 
you know, I right now have been getting up super early because I'm recording uh, an audio book and the time when the house is quiet is like super early before everybody gets up. So I've been having to shift my clock earlier and get myself to wake up earlier, but also not be groggy when I'm waking up earlier. So what I do is let's say that normally I I get up at 6 a.m., but these days I'm getting up at 4 a.m. just to get a couple extra hours of work in in the morning. When I get up, I turn on the lights in my office really bright. And even though the sun isn't up yet, I have one of those, you know, like those light boxes that they'll sell the people who live in Seattle or Portland or whatever for seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. Well, you, you can, you can put one of those on your desktop. So you blast yourself with that light. And then I've also got these, uh, it's kind of funny cause I look like an alien when I'm working in the morning, but I've got these glasses and they're called, I wish I was back in my office. I could show them to you. They're called retimer glasses. And you put on the glasses and you push a little button on the glasses and they produce a bunch of like bluish green light, which is the same spectrum of light that the sun produces. So it can be 4 a.m. And even though the sun's not up yet, you're just blasting yourself with what your body perceives as sunlight. So your body kind of thinks it's morning. And so those glasses are called retimer glasses. You could Google them and see what they look like if you want. And then the, the other... Thing that I'll do because we actually have photoreceptors in our ears that also respond to light cues. There's another device called the human charger and the human charger, it looks like a pair of earbuds, but rather than producing sound, it blasts your inner ears with light. And so what I'll do is I'll walk into my office in the morning and this will also work if, if like I've taken some kind of Let's say I'm just like guinea pigging some supplement that someone told me is good for sleep. And I realize in the morning, oh crap, this thing makes you groggy in the morning. Well, yeah. I'll go into my office and I'll, I'll put on like the, the light box, you know, for seasonal affective disorder that's on my desktop, put on the glasses, put those things in the ears and literally just bathe myself in light for a good 20 to 30 minutes. And that pretty, pretty much seems to do the trick when it comes and, to ban- and- banishing morning grogginess. And not during, like, let's say you're you're in competition, or let's say you're reading your audiobook. You don't keep the glasses on during that, or or oh you, yeah, you just... I, I do, but but I mean, all that light kind of, I'll be honest, like that's a lot of light, and it can almost be like too much if you're doing that for hours and hours. So I'll do that for like the first twenty to thirty minutes of the workday, right? Just just to give myself that big healthy dose of light. And obviously, if the sun was up, the best option would just be to like I'm doing right now, you know go for a walk in the sunshine. But if it's 4 a.m. and I'm supposed to be in my office with a microphone in front of my face or working on a blog post or something, I don't have the option to be out in the sun. So I just do that instead. All right. And then uh, I'm trying to think what else uh, might there be. What about like for stress, things like that? Um, well, again, like it, it depends on the source of the stress. And, and obviously, I, you know, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence. The best thing you can do is is you know restructure your day or your life so that you're mm-hmm. you're not overworking yourself and not engaged in too many stressful activities. But a few, really, the number one thing for stress is free, and that's your breath and the ability to be able to when you're stressed, like engage in nasal breathing or even alternate nostril breathing, which is super simple. You know, breathe in through your right nostril, then cover the right nostril and breathe out through the left nostril and then go vice versa. That, that's incredibly calming, as is exhaling for a longer period of time than you inhale. So for example, when I go to sleep at night, if it's been a stressful day, I'll breathe in for a four count, 
hold for a seven count and then breathe out for an eight count. And that type of like long, slow breath work and especially a longer exhale than inhale is very useful because when you, when you exhale for a longer period of time than you inhale, you actually activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which helps to alleviate some amounts of stress. So I, I mostly just turn to breath work when it comes to the, to the stress component. Um, and then if you were to look at this from like a technology or a, or a biohacking type of standpoint, similar to those glasses I was talking about or the in-ear things, there's one device that I'll use. Uh, it's called a NuCalm. It's spelled N-U-Calm. And it's got, it's, it's kind of like a power napping app, but all sometimes if I just have 20 minutes to be able to duck out in the middle of the day to get rid of stress, or sometimes at night to just ease the body into a sleep state, I'll play that, that new calm app. And it's just basically sounds that kind of lull you into sleep and, and kind of along a similar uh, vein as that would be these so-called vagal nerve stimulators, which stimulate your vagus nerve that also helps you to relax. And there, there's a lot of different devices, but there's one, for example, called the, called the sensate and you hang it around your neck and it produces this vibratory sensation that, that gradually lulls you into a state of relaxation. There's another one that you can wear on your wrist called the Apollo that does something similar. It vibrates and causes your brain to start producing relaxing brain waves. And then there's even, there's a newer one I find really intriguing. It's called a HAP B and it's like a, a, a it's a, it's a magnetic based signal and it simulates the frequency of like caffeine or nicotine or CBD or any other setting that you put it on. So you could use it for either wakefulness or de-stressing. And so it's kind of cool because we live in an era where we've now got these devices that will gently nudge you into either a, a more alert state or more relaxed state. And a lot of people think these are just like gimmicky things that, you know, that technology companies are selling for a lot of money that don't actually work. But I've found a great deal of efficacy in, in any of those things I've just listed. And, you know, it's some of them are like six to one, half a dozen of the other, but it's useful to have something like that in your back pocket. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I love. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I of course the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income? by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's gonna be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. 
Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You know, in a recent article you wrote about exosomes. Can you tell me about that? Oh, well, yeah. Exosomes are, they're cell signaling molecules. Matter of fact, when I was in college, uh, taking exercise physiology and, and biochemistry classes, you know, 20 years ago, we, we would see these little graphics of cells and some of the cells would have little dots outside of them. And they said, well, these, these, these are like little pieces of trash that the cell kind of poops out when it's finished metabolizing. And that's what they told us that they were. But it turns out that these, these little spherical devices or what are called vesicles they're actually now known as, as exosomes. And exosomes are cell signaling molecules, meaning they're, they're how the cells are talking to one another. And so uh, there's a function in the body, it's called paracrine signaling, paracrine signaling. Well, paracrine signaling is, is, it refers to the body's communication network. And it turns out that there are two things that science has found actually help cells to communicate better with one another. One is exosomes, and the other is, uh, is free radicals, which we're often told are bad, but actually serve a signaling function in the human body. So, uh, for example, with free radicals, that's one of the reasons why you actually don't want to take a whole bunch of antioxidants after you work out or go like sit in an ice bath for a really long time or something like that after you work out because you want the body to produce inflammatory free radicals 
that help it to create new muscle fibers or that help it to repair the body um, more efficiently because these free radicals serve as cell signaling molecules. Well, exosomes work similarly. And so now a lot of physicians will do something like an exosome IV or an exosome injection along with something like, say, um, stem cells or some other form of therapy because what it does is it kind of upgrades the ability of anything that you put into your body to be able to travel throughout the body and communicate with other cells. So they're actually kind of like a hot new thing in the whole like anti-aging, longevity, functional medicine sector, particularly for people who are, who are injured or for people who want better stem cell health. Um, and as a matter of fact, whereas uh, like 10 years ago, people would have turned to stem cells as like an anti-aging protocol, like getting a stem cell injection or a stem cell IV. Well, it turns out that exosomes upregulate your body's own stem cells to be able to communicate with one another. And so now it's almost just as good to just get a whole bunch of exosomes rather than having to get a bunch of stem cells. It's a little bit cheaper and quicker too. And so they're, they're, they're pretty cool little molecules. And it's kind of funny because they, um, they act very similar to like, uh, like mRNA in terms of the way that they communicate within the body. And I've always found it a little bit paradoxical that the people who are super concerned about like the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccines because they're mRNA and who knows what all those little molecules are going to do what, once they start kind of traveling through and communicating with the body. Well, these are the same people who are getting like exosome injections for anti-aging. And really, I mean, this, they're kind of doing a, doing a similar thing. But yeah, they're, they're fascinating little molecules, the exosomes. And, and um, I are they think easy that, to uh, get a hold of? Can I just call my doctor and say, hook me up? It depends on what kind of doctor you have. But most doctors who are in like anti-aging, functional medicine and stuff like that, yeah, they, they're aware of and use exosomes. And um, I find that particularly when you combine them with some type of therapy, like whether it's like, like a vitamin C IV or, or stem cells or anything like that, they just basically kind of like upgrade anything you combine them with. What's the role of protein in competition? Like we've talked about carbs and ketones and glucose. Yeah. Well, in competition, I mean, really, you know, protein's primary role would be for something that would damage the body and that is in need of repair because proteins are broken down into amino acids that help to repair the body. Uh, but when it comes to mental performance, proteins serve as the building blocks or really the amino acids found within protein serve as the building blocks for neurotransmitter synthesis. And so if you have a very low protein diet, you can tend to be low on neurotransmitters, which are, you know, the key signaling mechanism for your nervous system. And so it's kind of a catch 22 though, because high amounts of protein will also decrease the ability to be able to utilize and absorb effectively. Some of those things I was talking about, like ginkgo biloba, or ketones or things along those lines. So you kind of want the sweet spot for protein intake. And the sweet spot for protein intake for the purposes that you're talking about would be somewhere in the range of about 0.55 to 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight, right? Grams of protein per pound of body weight. So, um, you know, for example, you're 150 pounds, you multiply that by, let's say, 0.6 and that's how many grams of protein you want to eat per day to make sure you've got enough protein on board for things like 
neurotransmitter synthesis and, and your amino acid pool. So, you know, protein, not quite as important as like the ketones, some of the other components I was talking about. But if you go too low on the protein, you're not going to have neurotransmitters. Too high on the protein, you'll interfere with some of the bioavailability, some of those other things. So 0.55 to 0.7 grams per pound is kind of your sweet spot for protein. I guess also related to this is exercise. Like before, during, after, like what kind of exercise regimen do you recommend? For exercise, again, kind of similar to protein, you don't want so much that you're just pooped out and exhausted and unable to perform mentally. But at the same time, uh, exercise has been shown to increase that brain-derived neurotrophic factor that we talked about that you would take something like you know, lion's mane extracts for. And exercise can also increase uh, what, what's called a vascular endothelial growth factor or, or VEGF, which is also really, really good for building the brain or allowing you to engage in more cognitively demanding tasks. And so for both of those factors... For the first one, for brain-derived neurotrophic factor, even though I don't necessarily think that just like chronic cardio or just running on a treadmill is the most efficient way to exercise, it turns out that just like basic aerobic cardio, like a brisk walk or a jog or a swim or something like that is really, really good for BDNF. So uh, when I'm about to like go on stage and give a presentation in the morning, rather than doing like a really high-intensity interval training workout, or like a super hard weight training workout, I'll go for an easy swim or like a brisk walk in the sunshine because that appears to be better for the cognitive thing than say uh, lifting weights or doing a very high intensity interval session. And then there's also uh, this concept that if you do generate a lot of lactic acid in muscle tissue, that that will allow for better production of both of those as well. But of course, the problem is to make a lot of lactic acid, you have to push yourself really hard. And then that becomes draining and defeats the purpose. And so there's a trick for that. And the trick is something that's getting very popular in the exercise world these days. And it's called blood flow restriction training. And you can now purchase like on Amazon, these bands that you wear when you're exercising. And you can even wear them when you're going for a morning walk or when you're swimming. And you put the bands on your arms and your legs and they restrict a little bit of the blood flow to your arms and legs and cause lactic acid to accumulate, which results in a spilling into the brain once you finish the exercise session of a lot of these beneficial compounds. But it also allows you to get that lactic acid while not exercising so hard that you're going to drain yourself and just be super tired for that cognitively demanding activity. So oh, I've never like, heard about this. Like, what are these bands called? They're called blood flow restriction bands or, or BFR bands. Uh, most of the research on them has come out of Japan and they're even being used by a lot of Olympians and professional athletes now, but it, it's a super simple hack. You know, you just go for a walk, like a brisk walk, but right before you go on your walk, you put on these blood flow restriction bands. So you're building up a little bit of extra lactic acid, but not having to just destroy yourself in the weight room to get the equivalent amount of lactic acid. And do athletes do this during competition or just in general? No, if you did it during competition, that'd be kind of like, whatever, competing in an 800-meter sprint but deciding to wear a weighted vest, right? Hmm. You'd use the weighted vest during your training, and then once you remove it for competition, then you know, it feels a lot easier to run the 800. Kind of similar. You'd, you'd, use it, you'd use it before in your training 
but then you you wouldn't want to like be playing chess wearing blood flow restriction bands. But what about a walk that morning? Yeah, that's when you do it. I see. Okay, so still during the competition, but like not when you're actually competing. Right, exactly, exactly. So this is all really great stuff. Any other recommendations you'd make? Oh, let's see. We covered the nutrients. We covered some of the supplements. You know, there's one other thing that's really interesting that comes to mind, and, and that is that you can actually increase the activity of, of the mitochondria in your neural tissue. And you could do so by getting exposed to infrared light. And of course, infrared light saunas and these like big infrared light panels that people are, you know, using on, the, on their bodies, they're becoming pretty trendy of late in the whole biohacking and fitness sector. But there are some devices that produce infrared light for your head that were originally designed for patients who have like Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like that. But they're also really, really fantastic for anybody who just wants to increase activity in neural tissue. And I think the company is doing a really good job making a device like this. It's called V-Lite, V-I-E Light. And it's literally like, it looks like a piece of headgear that you pull on and it just bathes your skull in infrared light. And it feels like a cup of coffee for your brain. That'd be something you would do like in the morning before you compete. And, and you literally just pull it over your head. And, and so it's quite literally infrared light that's specifically designed for the cranial exposure. So that's kind of a cool one to think about too. Would you do that um, all the time, like every day? You could, yeah. You, it, you flip it on and it stays on for about 20 or 25 minutes. And there's no reason you couldn't do that at the same time you're doing all those other light things I was talking about. That's fascinating. All right. Well, this is a lot of fuel, literally, for me. So what else is going on? What are you, uh, what's the audiobook you're working on? Oh, I, uh, the one I'm working on right now is called Endure. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a book on physical endurance, though. It's, it's a book written through the lens of me, a guy who's done a lot of kind of crazy physical endurance stuff, but it's more about spiritual endurance and spiritual stamina. You know, how to do things like have more self-control and temperancy and mastery of passions and desires and uh, just, just, just kind of a, a guide for, for becoming stronger or having more endurance from a spiritual standpoint, you know, rather than the mental endurance or the physical endurance, you know, how, how do you build the spiritual endurance too? And I've always wanted to write a book like that. And so when I write a book, I've found the best way for me to do the final edits on a book is to read the book aloud. Yeah, so that's I, a great I, so, so I like to kill two birds with one stone. And when I finish writing the book, I'll record the audiobook. And while I'm recording the audiobook, I'll be editing the book as I go, like highlighting, deleting certain stuff, changing words, et cetera. And so by the time I'm done, I've got I've got the audiobook done, plus I've got the editing done. And so that's what I'm in the throes of right now is is you know, I wake up every morning and just uh you know, go to town recording this audio book. And I'm a lot better at doing that than just locking myself away for like 80 hours in a studio and doing it all at once. I find I get flat, you know, after I've recorded yeah. for about an hour or two, you could tell like the passion's kind of gone in the voice. So I take it in little chunks every, every day. So, I'll, you know, I started about a week and a half ago and it'll take me about four weeks to record the book, just getting up every morning and put an hour, hour and a half in. I think that's smart about the reading it out loud. If I even write like an article or blog post or whatever, I always read it out loud before I hit publish just because you want it to sound natural. You want it to sound like you're, you know, how people think, not like some formal, you know, academic piece. 
I'm shocked why more kids don't get the advice to read their compositions aloud. I, I tell my sons because, you know, I, I think I may have told you this in our last podcast. Every week I give my sons a book. And usually it's a book that I've read and really enjoyed. And it's, you know, highlighted with the pages folded over. And it's got all the things dad found important in the book. And rather than me just shelving it, I turn around and I give it to my sons. I say, okay, well, here's, here's dad's book. You get to read this book because I found it super helpful. You can, of course, get through it more quickly than I did because a lot of the important stuff is already underlined and highlighted. And I would just look like a one-page book report from you by the end of the week. And so I'm training them to wrap their heads around this idea that you can easily read a book a week. You know, reading is like a muscle. I'm training them to be able to, you know, express their thoughts about that book well on paper. Uh, but then, you know, as a, as a part of that composition, I tell them when you write the report, before you turn it in to me, I want you to read the whole thing out loud, sentence by sentence. And it's, it's just, it's such an amazing editorial trick that I, I wish more people knew to just read their compositions aloud because you yeah. always find stuff you don't find when you're reading it quietly. It's it's very powerful technique. So when when's the book coming out? Uh, that one will be, I think we've got that slated because it's a little bit more of like a spiritual title. I think we're going to release it close to Easter. So, so it's still, still a little, little ways out. Cause I just published a cookbook. So we're still kind of, you know, it's kind of like you have your, you have a baby. You don't want to have another baby right away. It's a little stressful. Yeah. I, uh, this past year I published one book in March and one book in April and definitely it was with two different companies and uh, definitely they got in the way of each other. But uh, Ben, you have to come on for endure. I want to hear all about that as well. And thank you so oh, much yeah. for this, uh, for this advice. I will certainly let you know in a few weeks how it all, how it's all working. Well, if there's any type of a payout for this chess tournament, now I want a royalty check if you win uh, anything, okay? Absolutely, That's, absolutely. Yeah. Believe me, with chess, there's not that much money, but anything I get, you, you could you could have your share. Except so, the explosive diarrhea. Yeah, except that part. That'll hold on myself. <laughs> All right, ma'am. All right, Ben, well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Always great talking to you, ma'am. Well, yeah, same here. Good luck later. with the book. Okay. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks so much, Ben. That was so great. Uh, uh, Ben's gone. This is just the outro. But it would really help me out if you share this podcast. Please share it with anybody you think would be helped by it. And write a review if you like it. Let me know on Twitter. If you have any questions for Ben, ask on Twitter and CC Ben and me. Uh, I'm Jay Altucher on Twitter. The best thing is share this podcast, and I'd be infinitely grateful. Thanks very much. are true overwhelming power the sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili wickdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries and sprites ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba -da -ba -ba -ba. go i participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last